Yeah. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. And we're back at it again for another. <laughs> yes. Gotta hook them, you know? Gotta hook them in. We're back at it again for another Common Sense Podcast episode. That was a mouthful, but I said it anyway. Um, <laughs> we are in the thick of it. The thick of the school year. <laughs> There's just no... I'm looking to see when the next break's coming, and there isn't. So that's okay. That's okay. Well, you know, I just started literally nine days in. Um... Yeah, so we're back. My name is Patrick, for those of you who don't know. My name is Antonia. And we're just two teachers who love talking shit about education. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry for those who are watching around kids. My bad. My bad. My bad. Do you have any good news? Or do you want to do the game first? Uh Uh-oh. Come on, game. Come on. Let's... Let's let's start with a with a game. I'm excited to see what you came up with. Okay, I hope you don't think it's boring, but it's something I enjoy. So okay, <laughs> book quote. Um, I'm no, it's not a book quote. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm ready. You have to guess the age of a child that would exhibit this behavior. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, the first one is... Wait, am I thinking, can you give me an age range so I'm not like... Elementary mm-hmm. age, like five to, five to ten. Five to ten, okay. Okay. That's kindergarten uh, to fifth for those who don't know. Yes. Okay, so at what age may, might a child ascribe human feelings to inanimate objects, such as it is raining because of... Because the clouds got angry. Oh. Hmm. I think that sounds a little bit like first grade. Because when I say first, I'm saying six years old. You know, you're learning about character traits and feelings and those kinds of things. Maybe first. Well, they said five. So, someone may enter first grade as a five-year-old. No, no, they would not. So, six. Okay, so I'm wrong. That's fine. I almost went with kindergarten, but I decided not to. Okay, five. That's fine. One year off. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) Um, At what age is a child especially interested in the phrase, who started it? Who started it? What age do you hear them saying that a lot? Who started it as in, like, blaming someone for something Inter- else? Yeah, interactions with peers. Mm. He started it. He started it. I ain't do that. Um, That is... Oh, that is eight years old, definitely. Second grade. You're right. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. One last one. Don't ask me how I knew that, but I feel like <laughs> I had to reflect for a minute. 
I was like, yeah, I think that that that's second. That's second. Yes. And it just spirals out of control from there. So after that, right? <laughs> um, okay, last one. At what age might a child give a gift to the teacher that is actually something that belongs to their mother? Wow. Hey, this is my mom's ring or like my, my mom's makeup or like something like that. Hmm. That to me. Well, first of all. I was not allowed in my mother's room. Me neither. <laughs> so. um, I wouldn't dare take anything off her dresser unless there was some money that she let me have for lunch or something um these kids don't really these kids don't really care about getting in trouble i think because they care about their relationship with their teacher a lot mm-hmm. i'm gonna have to go with seven you're right oh let's I did that. I did that. Wow. Pat myself on the back. Pat myself on the back. All right. You want to know where those questions or what would they be called? Descriptors came from? Is that yardsticks? No. um, There is a child psychologist who wrote books from one years old to 10 to 14 that kind of gave parents information about things that were develop development. Oh, why can I not speak today? Developmentally appropriate for that age group. Um, and there's a website called the center for parenting education that has all of that information on there. Wow. If you want to go take a look, I read the five-year-old one before I started teaching kindergarten and kind of keep a lot of that information at the forefront when I'm interacting with them. Some of it is dated information, but a lot of it is still really good. It's really important that we know that kind of stuff because we expect children to be adults. <laughs> Even like as young as five and six, like, you know better than that. You know better than that. But actually they don't. And exactly the things they that they're doing that's getting on our goddamn nerves are like common behaviors for children their age. Like they're just a kid, literally. So. Yep. Interesting. Well, thank you for that. Good job. Good job. I remember. Uh, you did, and you prepared. That's awesome. Lesson plan on fleek. Do people still say fleek? <laughs> I'm bringing fleek back. Fleek is coming back. Okay, sorry. Getting distracted. Okay. Um, good news this week? Uh, you can go first. Okay, well, you know, I made it through another week of school. Hallelujah! Okay, Amen. I made it through. When, you know, I just feel like I've been in school for about four and a half months. But I've only been in school for eight days. So I am just trying to hold on. Um, There are some things that we can do better as a school that we're working through. You, You know, when you plan things out and then when you live things out, you know, it's kind of different. So we are trying to you know tweak things and stuff like that but i gotta gotta give my i kind of have to give myself some grace um and my students some grace 
because we haven't been in school that long, even though it feels like we've been in school forever. Um, but I made it through another week. Um, I think one of the highlights for the week was just brainstorming some things that my students were passionate about in terms of issues in the world. And, you know, despite going around calling people noodle heads and stuff like that, like they <laughs> they actually have a strong sense of issues that, you know, really matter to them, like gun violence and um, homelessness and racism and all these things. And I was just taking notes and, you know, surveying. And so when I get ready to actually teach the content of the year, I, I can tailor my instruction to those issues that are most important for them. So it's good. Um, I think my other piece of good news was I went to a professional development and I won a raffle. Okay. I never win oh. raffles. Never, ever. Like they almost never. It's like they go around my ticket. I can't be the only one. Don't leave me hanging out there. But. I never win anything. <laughs> but I actually won today. I won the last raffle and I won a professional development for my entire school by Inspire Teach. And so they're going to come in and talk about um, social awareness with us and how we can like help our kids to be more socially aware within their classroom, uh, by their peers, and just to help to create, um, you know, a better school culture, which we definitely could benefit from in these coming weeks. And I think it'll help us to help our students more. So I was like really geeked. So I definitely texted it to my principal and she was like, oh my God, are you serious? And I said, yes. You know, I just want people to know what I'm, you know, I I want her to know what I'm doing so that when the negotiation period comes and it's time to talk about the the salary for next year, you you know what I'm saying? Like people ain't like, okay, Patrick, you just taught. No, 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 no. Remember that PD? You know what I'm saying? So it's like, Little things like that, little <laughs> things like that. What about you? Um, This week, it's such a small thing, but all of my center icons, centers are, thing, are for those of you who are unaware in kindergarten, we do lots of small group activities throughout the day because children still need to play. Um, all of my center icons are officially switched over to images of the kids. Um, and so when (laughs) Friday, when the last one was put up, I think the last icon I needed to get was writing center. When the last one went up they all ran over and were like hollering who was who on the center icons. So that's something that was really exciting for me this week. Um, because now it has a picture of the exact thing that they're doing in our classroom space. So it's even easier for them to You didn't want to buy any clip art? No, oh, okay. I just no. wanted to no no clip art. You didn't want to. Although, <laughs> you know how I have the kids make everything. I did have one little one call me out and ask if they were going to create my math tub center icons, and like I kind of like I feel like they should, but then they won't be uniform, which will make it difficult for my system. So I don't know. I'm I'm thinking about that one. Um, well, it's nice that they're giving you feedback even in kindergarten. I mean, yeah, they are. Um, <laughs> we open that floodgate very early 
Um, what else has happened this week? I finally got to, because they're all in centers now, I finally got to go around and work almost one-on-one with everyone. Um, and I got to really see their little personalities come out or their big personalities for many of them. Um, and hear lots of jokes from them and just spend more time with them as individuals and not so much as like, we're doing this lesson, let's talk about this. But now I'm like joking with you as I play a game with you. Um, so that was really fun to do with them this week. Um, yeah, those are my highs from this week. Good things. You know, I actually have some not so good news. Uh-oh. Um, you know, Time Magazine has released their cover story. Yes. <laughs> And they are projecting what we already know. (laughs) What we already know, which is that teachers are severely underpaid. Period. It is uh, an interesting article because they kind of talk about the history of teacher salaries um, and how at one point in time they said in the article that, you know, a teacher's salary was similar to that of, you know, corporate professionals um, and that it was maybe 1.8% off, which I thought was like very, very interesting back in what they said 1.8% less per week than comparable workers. Um, However, and that was in 1994, but today we make 18.7% less than quote-unquote professional um, workers in the United States. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, I had no idea. I thought that, you know, teachers were underpaid, like, forever but you know that's clearly not the truth and so they kind of talk about how the decline um you know obviously comes from a lack of funding in education but they also bring up um charter schools and how because of the charter system like some of that (laughs) funding has been kind of spread out And that has caused for some salary issues as well. Um, Obviously, schools are incentivizing higher pay instead of just giving it to the teachers for the hours that we have already worked. (laughs) And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, okay. You know, in terms of, hey, if these kids get a higher test score, then you can get $20,000. That's what they do in DC public schools. Like we'll give you a $20,000 check. If you can score this on an evaluation system and your students perform this. And when you're receiving that, you're like, okay, like when I first heard that, I said $20,000. How hard could this be? Like, let's get it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. 20 K. And then it's like, okay, it's nearly impossible to achieve that. Because the money comes from the school budget and the principal controls the school budget, right? So they're not trying to give out that money to just anybody. You know what I'm saying? It's just crazy. 
Um, and they just talk about in the article how we just tired as hell from of everybody. And I mean, this is nothing new. We are tired as hell. And it's just crazy. Like the amount of teachers that have to work second jobs just to make ends meet. Um, the cover story here says that one teacher has to work three jobs and donate blood plasma to pay the bills. It's interesting because I saw on Twitter someone also like pulled the last few, um, what would they be called? Um, the last few cover stories about teaching and how the last few have been really negative and now they want to like frame it differently, I guess. So like the first one that came up was teachers can't teach. Like that was a cover story a while back. And then there was one about Michelle Ree having the answer to public education. Um, (laughs) Exactly. So just how their message is kind of like, I don't want to necessarily say it's changing, but it's interesting seeing the drastic differences and how they're presenting. I mean, I will say that it is true that, there are a lot of amazing things happening in education, but that is not to be used to overshadow the sheer in- injustice that's happening within our schools every single day. Come on now, let's be clear yeah. about it, folks. So enough of that. <clears throat> so folks, the time has come that we talk about something that Almost all educators and non-educators, especially non-educators, <laughs> can relate to. And that is, drum roll please. You want an actual drum roll? <laughs> I was thinking about doing a sound effect, but I was like, that wouldn't sound natural. So that's it. And that is, folks, the tantrum. <laughs> The outburst, the breakdown, those student behaviors that unfold in your class that catch you by surprise like, what? Hello? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, this takes me back to my first year of teaching. First grade? Second grade. Was it first grade or second grade? I had 28 second graders in one room with another teacher who was actually a white male. And (laughs) I'll never forget this one kid. He was so angry. Um, We were going out to lunch or going down to lunch, not out to lunch because... You know, by out, I mean just downstairs. He was so angry that he flipped over (laughs) every single desk and every single chair in the class one by one. (laughs) I had one of those. Oh, my goodness. That was my first year teaching, probably around this time of the year. Maybe it is early October, because, you know, October, that's like, whew, Jesus. Stuff gets real in October. Stuff get real in October. And when this first happened, like, I had no idea what to do. Like, I was like, stop, you know, like, you know, our first, our first instinct is to yell, like, stop, 
are are you kidding yeah. me? I can't really do it how I'm doing it because I sound fake. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like, you know, if you don't get, you know, like throwing out blank blank threats, like all these things, and I could say like I was not prepared uh-huh. to deal with that moment, and I just was so fix fixated on the behavior that I didn't even think about what happened before or next. Like I was just like. Like I, I could not get him to stop flipping over those twenty-eight desks and those twenty-eight chairs. He succeeded was he making eye contact in that. He no, he was crying really, really bad, and he was screaming, and um, and he made some eye contact with me to let me know that I'm gonna flip over every last one of these joints. Um, and eventually, <laughs> eventually, one of the deans came wait. down, the dean of um, culture, and so, <laughs> you know, charters. And so the, the <laughs> dean of culture came down with her walkie talkie and she told me to go downstairs with my class while she helped to, uh, y- you know, calm him down. And so I just was like, wow, I really felt like a failure at that moment. I don't know. When when was your first like tantrum of a like seeing a tantrum in your class? It was my first year and it was them throwing over desks. Um I had 26 kids my first year for like the first 4 4 weeks and it was very boy heavy. Um and I don't even remember what caused it, but it was a little boy who we were lining up to go outside, and it may have had something to do with a clip chart, too. Um, but he got angry and started flipping over. They weren't individual desks. They were tables and sets of two, and he started flipping them over. And I was right across from the office, so they they could hear what was happening. And so they – I hate to use the word evacuate because that seems so dramatic. They got all the other kids out of the classroom um, and were in there with him like to try to calm him down. But flipping over tables was not unusual in my first year of teaching. Um, it got to the point where my kids, it, it, it was one kid, one or two kids that it was the way that they expressed themselves until later in the year they found other ways to do that. Um, they got to the point <laughs> my kids were just ignore it. And they're like, oh, he flipped oh, the table wow. again. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's turn this way. And I like I hate to ever ignore a child because I like I don't like being ignored, but that was probably the best thing I could have done when the table flipping started happening. And it was it was very calculated and strategic because he would they would lift it up and they would just drop it like he would like, I don't know. He, he knew exactly what he was doing. He wasn't trying to hurt himself. He wasn't trying to hurt anyone near him. He just needed to show he was angry and upset about whatever it was. And that was the way he did that. Um, there were a lot of students in my second year of teaching who pulled down bulletin boards. No matter how nice and pretty they were, no matter how many bundles you bought online, like they will rip them joints down. And that just, you know, that's probably why I don't care too much about bulletin boards today because I'm still recovering from like this very beautiful volcano <laughs> that I made. Or this very beautiful, like, space-themed bulletin board. Like, welcome, star, you know, first grade stars. Welcome. 
And to see that joint on the ground in pieces, it just, it really hurt my feelings. I bet it did. <laughs> it really, and I vowed from that moment to never put up a cute bulletin board again. You know, I don't do and cute bulletin there, boards. Look, from that pins. point forward, I just put up paper. And I got some sentence strips and I put up student work. I was no longer doing no themed bulletin boards that you see online that go viral and all that stuff. I was not doing that. No, it was just like, for it, why? For it to come straight on the ground? Like, I like, (laughs) hell no. My second year, I didn't really have any dramatic um, tantrums. What I did learn my second year is... Like getting to the root of why a behavior yeah, is being exhibited. Absolutely. Um, which is probably why I feel like I didn't have any tantrums because I really tried to understand why that behavior was happening. Um, because a five year old, five year olds want to do the right thing, five year olds want to please the adults in their life. Um, they're just general, generally, like they're just a ball of joy. And so a five year old that's exhibiting some. Um, some behaviors that I may not agree with. Like, there's a reason for them doing that. That too. And I feel like I was too reactive and I wasn't so proactive, right? And so, yeah. <laughs> like, I would see the fight happen and I would deal with it afterwards, but I never really spent time developing a plan, like a really concrete plan to stop these things from happening like we have to know that students have triggers right like all of us have triggers even as adults we still have triggers and some of these triggers a lot of them um you know stem from things that don't happen in schools right but we're human beings like we take our whole selves with us everywhere that we go and a part of building relationships with students is learning the things that make them tick and getting to, honestly, the bottom of that. And what I try to do, you know, now is I don't, I'm not so much phased by how a student exhibits, like, their breaking point as much as I am, like, what happened before it. And trying to figure that piece out. That's important. I had one uh, kid last year who I learned that lesson with. Um, like you said, being aware of their triggers. For for me and for her, it was, it was very helpful to be able to identify them. Because once she reached that point, um, it would change the course of the entire day for her. And she wasn't able to bounce back from it. And so if I could identify what might trigger that tantrum in her early on in the day before it happened we could address it like one-on-one and change the course of her day instead of it taking over her entire day because as a five-year-old it's hard for you like if you are getting in trouble for doing xyz it's hard for you to understand depending on the messages you may be receiving at home in school like that you're not a bad person um and that it doesn't it shouldn't ruin your whole day, which is something that that little one was dealing with 
after incidents happen in your class, whether it's like one child having a tantrum or a child having an issue with another peer, do you try to get them to immediately tell you what happened? I used to. Um, I used to because I thought the immediacy was crucial for, you know, moving on and like, and that's something that I'm just taught, I think, from growing up and and then it's reaffirmed in like my first couple years of teaching. Like when you see a bad behavior or like an or like a tantrum, like we just want it to end. Like <laughs> you know, like yeah. immediately. Like we don't really see that as like a real process. You know what I'm saying? Like when a student exhibits uh an egregious behavior, like something in our mind should shift because we know as educators that behavior is communication. Like, yeah. When a student wants to go to the bathroom, they're going to put their hands up and they're going to, you know, get up and move their feet and let you know that they have to go. The same thing happens when a student pulls on a bulletin board. That's not to me a very typical, <laughs> no, very typical behavior. I didn't read that in yardsticks. So, um, <laughs> Like, that's something that we have to, like, pay closer attention to. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't know if you know this, but there are a lot of viral videos out there of teachers who have recorded students in the midst of their uh, tantrum. First of all, I don't ever use the word tantrum, so I'm not sure why I'm using it now. Um, But of students who are, like at their breaking point and like tearing up the room or um, like talking back or like just acting a whole fool. Have you seen those videos? They're awful to watch. Oh, they're cringy. They're cringy. It's like, why did you walk over and get your phone and record it? Oh my God. I'm going to show your mama this, but I don't, No, okay. I've I've heard teachers like I'm gonna take a picture. I'm gonna show your mom, and it makes the behavior escalate. Oh my god, we as teachers, we gotta work on that. Like, I mean, I think I don't know. I keep thinking about my own childhood. Right, I've I've I was never one to throw tantrums because I knew I would get my ass whooped immediately. Yep. Like I wouldn't dare like punch a wall or throw down a chair or stump my foot or even cry loudly. Like I wouldn't dare because I know I couldn't. I was afraid. It was a hell no for me, right? <laughs> but you know, that is the answer to a lot of <laughs> people's problems, you know, or like that's that's what we want our parents to do to our children be because we're so stuck on the behavior that we want a quick fix. Like, okay, well, I'm going to call mm-hmm. your mama and I'm going to tell your mama, not because I want your mama to help me solve this problem because I want your mama to come here and stop you from doing this. And hopefully, you know, she's she going to do what is a, a cultural legacy of <laughs> whooping your ass. You know what I'm saying? 
So the other day, on like we were doing a whole group lesson and someone was really, I don't even remember what I was getting on to them about. And I was like, would, I asked them, I said, would your grown up at home be happy if they knew you were doing this? And they looked at me and they like shook their head. And one of the kids was like, mm-mm, because if their mama finds out, they're going to get a whooping. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, Thank you for sharing. Let's. <laughs> so the like the kids know what happens or what can potentially happen if you call home. But I, I love how you position as not position it as teachers using that instead of what am I trying to say positioning like teachers calling home just to kind of like report and tattle on the child instead right. of like calling home to view it as a partnership with how can we work together to fix absolutely this? because at the end of the day like we we want our children to be better people and we cannot hold oh I hate when we do that when we hold students like like we label them as problem children when they you know when they explode or when they blow up right but we don't take accountability for you know not picking or not not picking up on that trigger that (laughs) like that in kindergarten in kindergarten i never use the like or any grade really you shouldn't i never call anyone bad um but because they have experiences outside of school they may in their own my like their own experience certain behaviors are bad if you do this you're bad um and so when things happen in the classroom and like a child gets talked to for doing xyz whenever they say oh so and so is bad they shouldn't have done that like i'm always quick to say no they're not a bad person they may not have just made the best choice at the moment um and making sure to reframe that because you also your words and your action contribute to the classroom culture and the way that they perceive their peers in the classroom. And so I I think taking that time to like make sure they know that no one is quote unquote bad is really important. Yeah. My mama still says that. And I'm trying to get her to understand like, mom, we got to (laughs) stop like calling kids bad because sometimes they take on that label. Right. You know, like, and then bad, yep, and, they do. and bad becomes good. And like, I want to be bad. Like, I want to be bad. I've had kids tell me that all the time. I'm trying to be bad. I'm going to be bad. Like, you know, because bad kids get attention. And ultimately, all mm-hmm. all kids want attention. And attention, you know, to a lot of kids means, you know, it's love to them. And they want to feel good. And it being bad will get me the attention that I so badly seek. Then, like, then so be it. You know, so be it. I like the, I like, um, there's a teacher on Instagram at Anti-Bias Montessori, Tiffany Jewell. She said, like, when you're struggling with a child and whatever behavior they may be exhibiting to keep them close. And I've kept that at the forefront of my mind uh, this school year as I'm working with one particular child. Every time I just bring them in closer and like just have them with me as I'm like doing things in the classroom or as we're transitioning between things, keeping them close. um, Really, it helps them and it helps me because I can immediately tell them like, this is about to happen. And then there's no room for them to go off and do whatever we're trying to correct um, because they're right here by me. And because they're close to me, they want to do the right thing because like I said, five-year-olds want to please the adults in their lives. 
But I asked you the question about immediately having the conversation with kids because because of my Montessori experience um, and because of my experience just as an individual and not wanting to immediately talk about incidents when they happen, I when children throw tantrums or when I notice a child is upset or angry because of something a peer may have done, I ask if they're ready to talk yet. Because trying to force a child to have a conversation they're not ready to have isn't going to be a fruitful conversation. Yeah. And you're not yeah. going to get where you, you're hoping to get if you're forcing them to talk and they're not ready. And you, you'll just continually be asking, well, who did this? Who did this? Why are you – I'm talking to you. Like, why are you not answering? Why are you being they're defiant? Not ready to talk. Right. It's, it's a mess. So giving a five-year-old, six-year-old, I mean any child, that option to come to you and talk – when they're ready, really shifts the conversation. And I've never had a child not come back to me and have the conversation. Because if their emotions are tied into it, they, they have things they want to say about whatever happened. And so they always come back. And whenever an incident happens, I say, you know, when you're ready to talk about this, you can come back to me. I'll be ready to listen. Absolutely. And in a sense, you're kind of, erasing this whole power dynamic you know of teacher and student but you know that really is just a a human experience that you're having with that student so I think that that's great that's great advice that's great advice in kindergarten a lot of times we say we run out of time for like this, like it kind of ties into social emotional learning we spend a lot of time learning about emotions and naming emotions in kindergarten because I find that you're not – the children are not coming in with the words to express their feelings yet. Um, and because they experience the same wide range of emotions that adults also experience, it's important to have those conversations. Um, and so for me in my classroom, a lot of times – Whenever we're doing a read aloud, I'll just pull out what the character's experiencing and, well, how do you think this made him feel or how did this make them feel? Um, and so that it's a way for them to see emotions through someone else almost. Yeah. Um, and then, too, when they have an altercation with a peer, if they're ready to talk, I always have the other child come and I say, like, do you – how do like how do they look? Do they look very happy with what happened? Um, because it's so like like I always say, five year olds are so egocentric that they do whatever they're gonna do, and then they don't realize how their um their actions have impacted and so someone are else. Adults, sorry. <laughs> so so are adults, and so taking the time for them to realize like how the body language of their peer has shifted, how their peer's facial expression has shifted, it it's really powerful because though I see them look and they're like, oh wait, like. I did this. I caused this with my actions or my words. And I feel like I'm going off on a tangent. Um, I also don't require kids to apologize. Or accept apologies. Or accept apologies. Real yeah. talk. Yeah. Real talk. Because apologies don't fix everything. Sometimes action does. Sometimes time does. Um, you can offer a an apology if you truly feel like that's you know, like it's on your heart, but you know, you don't always. You may have felt like they deserved whatever you did. So listen, sometimes <laughs> school fights 
you know, like, that's how I feel all the time with school fights, right? You know, like, there are some times when kids fight in schools, and I'm not talking about, like, beatings. I'm talking about, like, when they're just, like, you know, kind of, like, fighting. You know, when the, you know what I'm trying to say. Not like, oh, my God, he got his ass whooped to, like, oh, like, you know, like, not those kind of. (laughs) <laughs> yes slap boxing those kind of things like you know there are a lot of kids who provoke others and and figure out other people's triggers and pounce on those or somebody who snatches somebody else's toy or somebody who talks who says somebody's mama's a fat head or something like that right and when that kid like you know, slaps them or punches them or pushes them or something like that, and then they come to me upset about it. I'm like, well, you did call this mama a fathead, so you gotta own that, beloved. You <laughs> you gotta own it, like you know that he said not on my watch, and that's kind of what happened. And so, some lessons have to be learned the hard way. But I think, ultimately, give students the autonomy over their emotions and their own selves. That's not something that we can police. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It makes me think of how often um, in elementary where kids are told, like, you're friends with everyone, forgive him, go play together. Um And it ties into what you, like, give kids autonomy over their emotions. Maybe they're not ready to be friends with you. And I tell my kindergartners that, like, if you were unkind to someone, they don't have to play with you. That is their right. They may be upset with you for right now. Um, And you need to give them space and you can try again another time. And I think when we're thinking about egregious behaviors, you know, the flipping of the tables and all and the fighting and the bulletin board ripping and those like, quote unquote, out of control behaviors, you know, as it pertains to our role as teachers and adults, you know, those who are not teachers, it's like when those students have those moments, those explosive moments, we've already lost them. There's really nothing you can do at that point to help them, you know? And the only thing that you can do is to help deescalate and process the moment. But the moment that a child loses control is you know like we've already lost them and so our biggest tool is to build a relationship with that child and that child's family to learn their triggers so that we can be as proactive as possible you know what I'm saying like there are some students who have a really rough time not being called on in class because their parents had a baby and now they don't get any attention at home right there are some yeah families who you know some children who have experienced some trauma in their lives and that you know walks with them to school as well and that plays into their triggers and things like that and so like we have to know our students and we have to do everything that we can to make the environment as safe as possible and that includes creating a classroom community that you know understands 
you know, their classmates and, you know, are helping them to feel safe as well. It's not just on the teacher. You know, I, I try to make my students accountable for ensuring everybody is safe as well because the health of our community is just as important as academic growth. Oh, yes, yes, yes. They, <laughs> they won't tell us that. <laughs> I don't know who they is, but they... Oh, man. Um, there have been some egregious behaviors this year, and that's okay. Um, I think we are having conversations with parents about where this comes from. I am giving myself some grace. I'm giving my students some grace. We're only eight days in and we're getting to know each other. And we know that that reset from summer is real. So getting them into the swing of things and making sure that they're good. But ultimately, um, I just want my students to feel safe and I'm not really faced. I think I've seen it all at this point. You know, I've even seen a. I had a student once who was so angry he walked home. Oh, <laughs> I'm done. All the way I'm home. going home. Yep, he walked out the front door and made it all the way to his mother's front door. Wow. Yeah, don't ask how that happened, but it just did. Um, and you know, also a lot of trauma happening at the house that contributed to this behavior that happened years ago. But I was just like, yeah, I've seen it all. I've seen it all. So I'm just trying to be as proactive as possible. And then, like, also holding the adults who interact with these children, you know, accountable as well. Like, don't allow other adults in the building to traumatize your children because. Yes. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, don't talk to my kid like, like you know, don't talk to my kid like that. You don't know what he's going through. Or, like, you don't know what his mm-hmm. triggers are. Like, stop stop triggering my, like, my child. Um. But yeah, so let's have some grace. Any parting words? Give kids time to process their emotions. Yeah. What's happening? Yes. Yeah. And don't teach them like they're you. Teach them like they are yours. All right. And on that note, we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Yeah. And we're back. Good job with wine. <laughs> I'm still sipping on coffee. Um, if you have questions for us, you can send them to commonsensepod at gmail.com. Or you can send them through the website at commonsensepod.com. Very good. Yay. Okay. So our first question this week comes from... I don't know what her name is. So she says, hi, I have a question for your podcast. Sorry, she does not talk like this. Let me not do that. (laughs) This tone, I'm just like, excuse me. I recently saw the following tweet, which I completely agree with. But I saw teachers in a teacher group, a part of, okay, sorry, let me edit her tweet. But I saw teachers in a teacher group in part of saying extremely hurtful things about it. How would you and Antonia approach this? Also, how do we go about helping teachers? Okay, so this is what the tweet says. PSA, your students saying ain't, finna, etc. 
are cultural, instead of connect of oh, correcting them, talk to them about code switching and how amazingly smart they are for being able to code switch <laughs> between the two. Valuing your students' identities means valuing the way people valuing the way they speak. So she wants to know how do we go about helping teachers see how much these words affect the black students in their classrooms? <laughs> this is a white woman. Clearly. Both of them are. Clearly. Oh. You got a comment? <laughs> I do, I guess. Well, thank you for bringing this to our attention. We really appreciate it. I did look at the tweet, and a lot of the comments were saying, like, Students need to learn how to speak correctly and all that. And it's so funny. So I didn't want to tell you this earlier. <laughs> but I was inside of a training, right, today. And it was all about social emotional learning, student voice, and all that mess. And so we were actually talking about some of the words and phrases that mostly black people have using, used, <laughs> wow, using, used over the years and in different contexts, right? So like if we want to say like in Detroit that a party was fun, we'll say the party was slapping, right? Or we want to say hi or hello, you know, in Detroit, we might say what up though, right? But when we, but when mm-hmm. students say that in schools, we correct them as like being, you know, like that's not correct. That's not what you do and all those things. And so a white girl raised her hand today and she said, I just want to say that I feel really lame because I'm not understanding any of these words that you guys are saying. And maybe this is the way my students feel when they like come to our, like maybe this is the way our black students feel when they come to our school. Cause she works at a white affluent private school in DC. And so she pretty much just made the whole like workshop about her and her feelings and I said, this is what we're not going to do. <laughs> like, absolutely not. But we go on to say, um, I made a comment about, and I'll say it here, like, you know, these words and these phrases do belong in classrooms. Ain't finna, what, whatever. Maybe, I don't necessarily know if ain't is cultural. It's okay. not. I have a story about that, but I'll wait okay, till you Okay, okay ain't finna maybe finna but i don't know about ain't but things like slapping or what up though or glass or joning or things like that like you know i would not cross that out in a student's writing if they decide to use that because they're speaking their language right and so she was she was like but not all writing not all writing like students may use that in narrative but not in all writing right and I said, mm, they can use it in all, like, writing because they're writing from their perspective and their voice, right? The only time I wouldn't expect that is when uh, they're writing from a, from someone else's perspective. But I also push them to, you know, do their own glossaries in the back of their writing anyway so that they can define these words for other people who may not, you know, come from the same you know, community that they come from, a.k.a. me. You know, I'm from Detroit. My students are from Southeast D.C. Some of them are from um, PG County. Some of them are from Laurel. Some of them are from, you know, Northern Virginia. So at the end of the day, it's like, you know, there are a lot of things going on. 
Um, but I've come to believe that, you know, our students are, you know, bilingual students, whether we choose to believe it or not. And yeah. they have yeah. their own language, their own rules, their rules are strict, their grammar is consistent. Um, but we have to get on board with that. But I'm not going to sit up here and glorify code switching either. Like, like we shouldn't have to do it, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you want us to value code switching because it, it makes it easier for you, aka white people, to understand what it is that we're saying. Um, and I think that that is just completely ridiculous. I think it's also worth noting, uh, like you mentioned about the glossaries, because people may not know when you first said slapping, I didn't know what slapping meant. Yeah, um, slapping. But like when you when you hear the context, like it makes sense to me. That party slapped. Um, this podcast slapped. Yeah. So like, I, <laughs> um, but the the comment about ain't. I remember in fifth grade, I had a teacher. Her name was Mrs. Whitener. She had just gotten married. And I had written ain't on one of our assignments and she said that it wasn't a real word. And me being me, I went to the back of the classroom and got the dictionary and ain't was so in the dictionary. So you're one of those kids. And I was one wow, of those kids. Wow, smart ass. Yes. <laughs> I was, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she tried to tell me still I couldn't use it. I'm like, well, you say use a dictionary. So... I remember getting into an argument with her over that and being sent out of the classroom. <laughs> and then Finna, Finna, I don't know if it's cultural because I hear white people say it in Texas. So I don't know if it's just, I don't know. I hear everyone use Finna. Those were two that stood out to me. But the only time I ever correct um, any anything that the children are saying, and a lot of it has to do with us being in kindergarten and still learning subject verb agreement in English, like standard English as a whole. Um, so if they'll say, if they say her has my pencil, I'll say she has my pencil and we just keep moving forward. Um, with AAVE, the only time I correct them is when they're not following the rules. Um, and I don't really know how to explain what the rules just are. Know you just them know or them, you right? don't. That's just it. <laughs> you know them or you don't. The only time I correct them is when, like I said, it's not following the rules or it's not making sense. Um, so if what a child is saying to me makes sense, um, it's fine. It's acceptable. Um, and then with standard English, I do revoice what they're saying in the correct way so that they at least have heard it a different way, but I don't ever say, say it Mm. this way. And it's also not a white teacher's position to teach black children about code switching. Just saying my kid ever comes home my teacher and says, told me i had to code switch mama <laughs> okay uh n- we'll just do one more question since this episode is kind of running long so this was actually more directed to me but i wanted to get your opinion on this so i did a um a mini rant today on instagram about my frustration with large scale black events and black organizations that don't include teachers in their panels or anything like that, right? So I'm thinking like Essence Festival, you know, who take a whole week to celebrate black women and and their um, amazing accomplishments, right? But don't necessarily like have workshops and panels with like actual educators and classroom teachers and like 
you know, who mm-hmm. are, you know, black women who are busting their ass in a classroom every single day. Like we're not really valuing them on the main stage. And then I think about what's happening this week, which is Congressional Black Caucus Week. And what's happening is that they're having some education panels, but I'm reflecting back to my old experience with CBC and there were no teachers in the room, right? Even in the Teach for America session, like there were no classroom teachers there. There were policymakers and and there were um, former teachers there, you know, teachers who taught previously, but there were no current classroom teachers there. And so this person wrote me back in um, after I expressed my frustration with them and said, I will go to the political forum. You, you are an excellent advocate for your profession and for your students. Take a group of teachers and go. The only way change will happen is if we advocate. And if we don't advocate for our students and our profession, who will? What do you think about that before I say anything? I don't know. I, I also get the feeling that we're not welcome in those spaces. I said the same thing earlier. Yeah. I feel like when they have professional any type of Young thing. professional, like, mm-hmm. it's so awkward when I, like, yeah. go to, quote, unquote, networking events and I got my tie on and everything. And people are like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a teacher. And they're like, yeah. and it's like a glimpse of disappointment on their face. Like, yep. maybe if I had, like, a charter school title or something like that, it would be a little bit more, like, understandable. But there is always this glimpse of, like, and what else that's supposed to come mm-hmm. after that? Yes. And it's just it's like, like no, nope, sorry, honey, that, that's it. <laughs> no, honey, that's it. And then, like, it follows with, like, this backwards insult to me, which is like, oh, yes, the kids. We need yeah. black male teachers. We need y'all in the classroom. And you doing the important work. And it just feels fake as hell to me. So I was just like, I don't really want. <laughs> your fake ass compliments that's why i don't go to networking events because yeah. it's, you know like it's just it's a no for me and then um sorry i cut you off go ahead no you're fine i i you're just echoing some of the same things i was going to say um when i do get those underhanded comments now i just i would love for you to come spend a day with us let me i can i send you the background form to sign up um and get cleared and you know almost never they submitted and come in um like just spend a day in our shoes and you you probably would not make those little faces and comments when people say that they're a teacher because I guarantee you I do a lot more than the 20 minutes of excel creating that most people in office spaces do absolutely and ultimately like if you're putting on a conference on the state of the black community in America but you don't give a damn about the education of black children and are including those people who are responsible for the education of black children, your nieces, your nephews, your cousins, your baby mama, Ray, Ray, Pookie and them like nephews, like at the end of the day, like how dare you not include us? And it's not my responsibility to go out and advocate and force my way onto this table because these are my own people who are supposed mm-hmm. to do exactly what they're supposed to do you know what i'm saying like i expect this shit from donald trump and and america we got a nine billion dollar cut to public education this year you know what i'm saying like they've been doing this shit but if we're gonna have a quote-unquote think tank but if we're gonna have like some sort of conference where we are 
you know, discussing the state of black people. Like, I want to see more teachers on panels, like like classroom teachers who are doing the work every day. Like we are professionals and acknowledge us as professionals, not in a pity standpoint, like, but as like real as professionals, as the same people who sit behind a goddamn cubicle all day, like we are just as important as them. You know what I'm saying? Like we may make 18.7% less than those people, but we are doing 150% more important work. Does that, I don't know. It makes sense to me. I would agree. Thank you. Thank you. That, that, that makes sense. We have the most important job in America and people should be begging us to come and talk to them. And it frustrates me that I even have to think about how I would have to strategize, like getting someone's attention to get on a panel and then how I will be received by an audience of being quote unquote, just a teacher like that's just completely ridiculous at this point. Yep. So with that, you can send your questions to commonsensepod at gmail.com or you can send your comments to commonsensepod.com. And I'm sure we have a quote this week, right? We do. We do. Yes. It's a quote from Maria Montessori. You ready? Let's go. We call an individual disciplined when he is master of himself and can therefore regulate his own conduct when it shall be necessary to follow some rule of life. Hmm. What gets me in that quote is some rule of life, right? Like not school rules, not making like teachers or adults feel comfortable. It's like we want students to be successful in their own lives. We, we want them to have self-regulation so that they can live the life that they want to live and, you know, ultimately live up to their highest potential. Yes. Mm. There is a world outside of school. That's what discipline is about. Discipline is not about doing things for small external rewards. It's, it's about you know helping students to you know see the power within themselves so that they can best live their lives like you know like we're helping to raise children to raise human beings to raise people who who are going to you know do amazing things in this world and we have to be aware how aware of how our actions influence them and impact them Mm -hmm. but it all stems down to what can we do as adults to build the strongest relationship that we can with the students that we know and if you're not a teacher like getting to know your cousin your little brothers like getting to know those children like as they grow up and being that listening ear understanding their triggers and having grace grace their children this whole like you should know better thing like we have to stop it because it's your job to teach it's your job to teach it over and over and over and over again so i'm not gonna i'm not trying to be preachy today but ultimately (laughs) like we gotta change our mindset on a lot of things so that we can get our kids to be where they need to be. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, 
And on that note, thank you guys so much for listening. And we will see you next time. Bye, Bye guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Common Sense Podcast. Subscribe at our website at www.commonsensepod.com and receive the episode a day early. You can also subscribe to the Common Sense Podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. We love seeing your reviews um, and reading them, and it helps spread the message to other educators each time a review is posted. Yes, and we'll see you next time.